Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Weekly Dispatch. It's me, Sean, back at it again and for more news covering everything from the 2nd to the 8th of September and what's pertinent and important for your news radar. Football's back. I just got back from Philly, so the Eagles just kicked off. I'm going to have to go tune in for that shortly. Uh, when I was down in Philly, got a great opportunity to see the Northeastern men's soccer team take on Drexel. They picked up their first win of the season, which was awesome, having trained with them earlier in the summer. And it definitely pays to be a winner. So congratulations to the men of Northeastern soccer team. On a serious note, uh, this podcast, we will cover some of the destruction in the Bahamas and in the rest of the Caribbean. If you want to help out, please head over to the TeamRubyConUSA.org website to pledge support. Uh, it's a veteran-run agency, and it's going to put the money towards the resources necessary to rebuild the island and help with the recovery. Cronus Fit is going to dedicate the profits from the next week to Team Rubicon, as well as an additional donation. Uh, please use the code Team Rubicon for 25% off all programs this week. That is Team Rubicon, T-E-A-M-R-U-B-I-C-O-N, and that's for 25% off all programs. Additionally, if you spend $75 on Team Rubicon on their website through a donation and send us that confirmation, we will send you a free shirt as our show of gratitude for helping support those that are in need of the resources that Rubicon provides. Our podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Use the code Cronus15 to get great deals on all their products. Paragon Recovery keeps you in the fight through activating your recovery and sleep cycles and check them out and contact them for even more savings if you're a member of the military community or one of the many law enforcement agencies. Today's podcast will focus internationally on the canceled and failed peace talks at Camp David with the Taliban, President Trump's and President Ashraf Ghani. And then we're going to talk about Hurricane Dorian, its impacts on the Bahamas and the Carolinas. Our U.S. America's news this week will be a summary of obesity in the Army. It's a topic we've covered before, but a new article has come out and will be an update uh, to the Democratic race. Uh, we're seeing a new debate later this week, so we'll cover some of the stuff that you'll want to track. Our economy topic for this week will be a summary of the corporate responses to gun violence and then a review of China's struggles post-tariffs. Without much further ado, let's go. All right, so our first international segment is focusing on the failed negotiations between the Taliban, President Trump, and President Ashraf Ghani. President Trump wrote in a series of tweets that he and the president of Afghanistan, Ashraf Ghani, were planning to host a peace summit with the Taliban leaders at Camp David, but the meeting was canceled. President Trump said, per the New York Times and in some tweets, in order to build false leverage, the Taliban admitted to a car bomb attack that happened this Thursday, which killed an American soldier and killed 11 others in Kabul. And then Trump said he immediately canceled the meeting and called off peace negotiations. Afghanistan, meanwhile, is preparing for its 28th of September elections, and the Taliban are fighting, literally, to postpone the elections until negotiations are complete. The negotiations, which have been happening in Qatar, are led by Zalmay Khalizad, 
uh, who's an Afghan American and are nearing nearly double digit iterations. And all of these iterations are working towards a phased agreement similar to what we saw in Iraq in which the U.S. will slowly open the door for negotiations politically within the country of Afghanistan as we withdraw U.S. troops. That is all contingent on a ceasefire with the Taliban um, and partial ceasefires which have been promised but never executed. And then part of that agreement also goes towards uh, the withdrawal of 4,500 troops from Afghanistan within 135 days if the agreement is ever signed and agreed to. The Taliban and the American politicians that are helping to try to coordinate this negotiation are clashing over the details as to when troops should be drawn down, with American diplomats stressing it should come after the negotiations with the Taliban, uh, and then the Taliban is saying the withdrawal should happen prior to negotiations. And if you guys read any articles and see something articulated with reference to the Islamic Emirate, that is the official title that the Taliban is trying to use as their representative name rather than the Taliban, which is what they used prior to 1996. Our second international news, we were going to talk about it, is the Bahamas reeling from Hurricane Dorian, which traveled through the Caribbean with a violence that was reminiscent of Sandy a couple years ago in New York and New Jersey and the rest of the East Coast. Um, but the biggest difference is the fact that the island nation lacks the major infrastructure that we as Americans rely on. The surge and wind caused by high uh, winds and the fact that Dorian was such a strong storm has caused island-wide power outages, businesses to close, tornadoes have touched down, like maelstroms, wrath of God type stuff. The storm affected the Carolinas over the week as well. And uh, as of uh, this week, we have seen at least 30 people dead in the island. Thousands are homeless. Thousands are trapped by water and debris. Um, another bad you know, part of hurricanes and damages like this in the Caribbean is a Norwegian energy company said that the hurricane damaged its uh, storage terminal at what is the South Riding Point station. They have no idea how much oil is spilled and to make matters worse for that economy, um, the scope of how damaging the storm was is still not yet known as the recovery process is going on. For, for some perspective, the storm was a category five when it hit the island and then it stalled over the island for three days. And to contrast that, when it reached uh, the Carolinas, it was only a Category 3. And we're going to talk about some of the Carolinas now. So one of the things that helps the American public recover from some of the devastation is the money that's been set aside by Congress for hurricanes and wildfires going all the way back to 2017. As of the 30th of June of this year, the government has actually spent less than a third of the $107 billion provided by Congress for these types of natural disasters. The Department of Housing and Urban Development received $37 billion more than any other agency, but has so far spent less than $75 million. So what does that mean? For the Carolinas, it means that this should be an easier way to fix the cities and roads and recover, uh, especially getting those drainage systems back up in low-lying areas which are more impacted by water and storm damage. But the biggest problem with that is 
All this money that's been earmarked coming from FEMA and HUD, which repairs the home and infrastructure, is going to be bogged down by administrative controls and laws because it's all based on storms, which in the past have not been as destructive nor as long in length in both its capacity to stay over land and then affect areas well beyond just the tidal region. A lot of homeowners now are also foregoing flood insurance, some not understanding that even where they're building or buying homes live in these low-lying areas. And so the damage is expanding beyond, again, that typical coastal area of the high winds uh, and rainfall. Uh, For example, some areas this past week had over 15 inches of rainfall overnight. In South Carolina alone, 360,000 people had to evacuate their homes and power was knocked out for another 200,000. A lot of people in Savannah went without power. About 9,000 had to leave that area in the state of Georgia. Over the next week, we'll see recovery efforts increase as we start being able to assess the, the true damage of the hurricane. But again, going back to the beginning of the episode, if you want to help out, go make a contribution to Team Rubicon, and we'll be happily able to help out and support you guys in that mission. But more to follow next week for sure as the wake of Dorian is further realized. Okay, U.S. news. It's finally happening. I thought we could keep the secret out of the eyes of the public, but it's out. Do you know what that secret is? Are you sitting down? America now knows how fat the military is getting. Oh my God, I'm so glad this secret is out. No, I'm so embarrassed. Okay, so the New York Times released an article, the Army Times then released an article about how the obesity epidemic that is plaguing the civilians of the United States is not just something completely separate from the military because now we're seeing the Navy is the heaviest branch of the military with roughly one in five soldiers or sailors being overweight and then the Army coming in at 17 to 18 percent of its population being obese and that's all based on the BMI. So you can say that yes some of the data may be incorrect because you could just be super jacked and you still have a high BMI and then you're categorized as overweight but I think That variance is about as common as people that are overweight with a thyroid or gluten issues. And I'm putting air quotes up over that. In general, it's just really poor dieting. And I said the news was reported in the Army Times, the New York Times. The Marine Corps had the lowest amount of overweight Marines out there. Uh, For the Marine Corps, if you're looking that uh, news up, it's on the backs of your Uh, excuse me, on the box of crowns that you have. Don't eat the green crown before you color in the fat soldier's uniform that's telling you how big it's gotten. You'll need half of that stick. But Devil Dog likes green the most. I know. I know there, Marine, but just don't do it, okay? You don't need the crown. The problem with the military is also in the recruiting capabilities. Uh, The increasing weight problems in the civilians... Uh, lead to about a one out of every three candidates that come into an office for recruiting can't even sign up to serve because of their obesity. And if you compare that to World War II, Americans were being turned around for being too malnourished. So it's astounding to see what diet has done over an 80-year period. Americans are getting bigger. That's, That's not a secret, but we're not getting much taller. And the problem seems to stem largely from diet 
and uh, a lack of really focused exercise. If you look at dining facilities, they've moved to coating food and trying to limit sugary drinks. And, and not all sugary drinks, though, are being eliminated. You still have problems with juice, which have just as much sugar as a can of Coke. You still have incredibly highly processed foods for those mass production meals that they're making, very high sugar foods, and a lot of carb loading year-round. And, and the PT doesn't help either because a lot of the senior leaders that you need to start making a, a catalyst towards development of healthier programs aren't always there or really knowledgeable. And I think one of the only real courses of action that would help this is if we start dropping the overweight soldiers and make it less of a burden on the command to fix that problem and start putting the onus on the individual who's going to the defect and who's eating poorly. And then you just look at what soldiers are being forced to eat and it's terrible. We've got these MREs, which are just chock full of sugars and carbohydrates. They're supposed to sustain you for an entire day's worth of calories. Anyone that's been through ranger school or any other selection, you're getting about two a day and you're supposed to be continuously moving. And then when you go to a training event back at your home station, you find out that those MREs that are so full of calories are being handed out for three meals a day. And that's three meals no matter what you're doing in the field. If you're in the talk, three MREs. If you're in a tank, three MREs plus whatever you packed in the gun tube that you're not using for force on force. If you're airborne, yeah, you don't have a lot of MREs, so you're good to go. But that's where it pays to be lean. You got to be a lean, mean, ranger, paratrooper, whatever you are if you're wearing a beret. If you are light, you probably don't get that. But every other organization that supports that tip of the spear is eating these MREs like they're candy. They're not being rationed out. And so when people have that, plus a sedentary job description within their capacity of the Army, and then they get back out of the field and they have a recovery week, all this stuff starts compounding, and then you just start seeing an increase in weight-related injuries. And then when people get out of the military, they have weight related dependencies that the VA then compensates them on. So it's going to be really difficult, I think, in the future if we don't make soldiers take some responsibility for this and we keep making the taxpayer pay it. And that's going to be the last thing I say on the obesity epidemic in the military because hopefully as people start transitioning and doing Cronus Fit, we won't ever have this again. There's a diet plan we'll give you and we'll also give you some great PT for your squats. All right, on to the campaign of 2020 and the Democratic race. That field of 20 is narrowing, maybe not so much by the individuals that are dropping from the race, but in terms of polling for select few. And those select few are former Vice President Joe Biden, who has 29% of the vote, Senator Elizabeth Warren at 12%, and Senator Bernie Sanders at 19 All the other candidates are trailing the top three by around, on average, 11 percentage points. Among Democrats, uh, some of the most interesting statistics that are coming out are 45% of those polled believe that Joe Biden, beyond everyone else that's running, has the actual best chance of beating President Trump in the next election. But that gap shrinks substantially when the question is asked, who is best for the country? And then Senator Sanders and Warren are within you know one standard deviation of Vice President Biden on that. So 
tune in on Thursday at 8 p.m. on ABC to watch the next debates, which will be much more focused on all of the gun issues, the storm issue that just came up this week, the G7 summit, the trade with China. So there's more to happen beyond just the immigration debate that we've seen all summer that have policy impacts coming up over the next year. And now we're going to switch to the economy. We talked about the gun issue. So a couple weeks ago, there were those terrible shootings in Ohio and Texas. They seemed to happen almost on a monthly basis. And when we talked in that podcast, we spoke about some of the resolutions we might see in Capitol Hill. But one of the resolutions we didn't cover because it seemed very outlandish was a business response to such a crisis in America. And that response is coming from Walmart CEO Doug McMillan, who said... Walmart is going to stop selling ammunition for military-style assault rifles and handguns and then phase out the sale of handguns entirely. He went so far as to say he would ask customers not to openly carry weapons in-store even though it's legal within that state. So they have to hammer out some of those details and how the public responds, we'll see. But we know the NRA has responded by criticizing Walmart's patriotism and the support of constitutional freedoms. But on the other hand, the business appeared to respond with an increase in the valuation of Walmart stock. I'm an econ major. I don't know how those two things correlate because I haven't run an an, uh, econometric uh, analysis of it yet. Uh, But Walmart's share of gun sales would foreseeably decrease. It's hard to say how much of an impact that would have on its cost of goods sold and then its revenue. Uh, in return. But as of now, Walmart believes the new restrictions will drop its national share down to about 6% from 20%. Um, And uh, it'll probably just have about 2% of national sales. And we talked about some things going down. (coughs) Excuse me. A couple weeks ago, uh, the China and U.S. trade talks kind of failed. And then this month, we finally see some of the repercussions for China. China's exports contracted sharply in August by just 1% in dollar terms from last year, and their imports declined 5.6%, which created a trade surplus of $34.84 billion. Shipments to the U.S. fell 16% in total from last year. So what some of that means, with the drop in the yuan value, and its economic easing policy that its central bank is going, which we talked about how we regulate our own money in in like our own robust economic podcasts from three weeks ago. The GDP in China is now being directly affected by the trade issues, which they could artificially kind of control as a measurement for future development. The GDP is going to start being impacted much more because that 15 to 30% tariff that's online for October Uh, is being placed on all those shipments coming into the United States. And that drag right now is in the form of another 0.3 percentage points on China's GDP growth over the next 12 months. So we could probably see that up to a whole percent. And then they're going to be under that 6% cap that they had set early in the year. We'll have more to follow up on, I'm sure, in the next month. And then next week, we'll have to cover some of the Brexit news coming out as it's impacting the economies of the EU. All right, on to the fun topics. Antonio, 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 Antonio Brown is going to the Pats. 
Oh my God. I'm not a fan of the Patriots. I'm still not over the Super Bowl that they cheated out of Donovan McNabb. But the greatest of all time is about to get just that much greater. When Randy Moss went and played with the Patriots, Tom Brady had an incredible season and everyone said, Randy is going to be a distraction. They're saying the same thing about you know Antonio Brown. I don't see that happening. Antonio Brown will not be a distraction. They say it's Bill Belichick's greatest struggle he's going to have to overcome. I don't think that either. I think Antonio Brown never wanted to play with the Raiders. He hired uh, a media team to make sure he could get off that team quicker. He's going to be on the sideline tonight against the Steelers. Stillers. And Big Ben is going to be pissed. The Patriots tried to get him for a first-round pick from the Stillers earlier in the summer during trade talks and were denied because they didn't want an in-rival team, or excuse me, an in-conference rival like the Pats to have Antonio Brown. But now he's right there. So, you know, we'll, we'll cut right to it. I was going to do this later in the episode, but football projections for the years. The Patriots are going to be in the Super Bowl. They're going to be playing the Eagles or the Rams. Maybe the Eagles and the Rams, because if Roger Goodell has another brain malfunction, I'm sure we could combine both teams to have a real good go at it. But I'm excited for football season. Uh, so should you be. If you're still you know, in MLB season, the wild card race is heating up for the National League with the Mets and the Phillies still trying to catch the Cubbies. Now I say that because we're in the tri-state area. I, I don't care about the Diamondbacks. Uh, big stuff from Saturday, college football, Michigan. Big old Michigan. You know Michigan, Ohio State, that huge rivalry? Yeah, you know it. it it's like almost as big as Michigan-West Point, which is probably just second to that. Uh, well, in that huge rivalry, West Point nearly beat Michigan, minus a pick on the goal line and a questionable pass interference call in overtime, Michigan almost lost. Number seven, Michigan, almost lost to Army. You know, Michigan, the team that has linemen the size of 1980s NFL players, yeah, they're having trouble with future Army Rangers pushing back against them. It was a really fun game to watch, not so much if you're a Michigan fan. I didn't go to Army, but it's great seeing guys that want to serve play football, doing the right thing, taking it to a team that has athletes that have nothing to do but push weight around and play football. So I hope this carries through for the rest of the season for the Army team. And when they play Navy, it's just going to be a continuation of some Army wins. And a little little bit of sad news here. Serena Williams lost in the U.S. Open on her quest to her 24th Grand Slam title to Canadian Andre Chu, Andre Chu, Andre, 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 not going to pronounce your name. Sorry, she's Canadian. Uh, Williams, who you might know is a relatively new mother, is 37 years old and a tennis champion. She's been fighting a recent wave of a lot of young, talented uh, tennis players who have been able to prepare their entire lives for the way that Serena Williams plays because she's been dominating since 1999. So all of the power and the speed behind her shots, which has made her just an emblem for U.S. tennis and for women's tennis, is now something that women have grown up preparing for. So it's it's more difficult for her to be as dominant. But I think she's going to get to her 24th Grand Slam title. I hope she gets to her 25th. It's just great to see someone that talented continuing to get after it with a much younger crowd and competition. 
Uh, final news in sports, Camille LeBlanc Bazinet, longtime CrossFitter, just announced her retirement from CrossFit. Uh, she was recently on a team that got, I believe, second place at the CrossFit Games this year with Alex Smith, uh, Janice Griffith, and somebody else. All right, upcoming events and news to watch for. Again, highlight for Team Rubicon support. Uh, go and donate at least $75 or more to Team Rubicon's site. We'll send you a free shirt as a thank you on top of uh, our donation. All the profits from this week are going to Team Rubicon for their rebuild of the Bahamas as well all the great work that they do throughout the year with all their great volunteers. Uh, the Democratic debates are on Thursday at, on the 12th of September at 8. Uh, for some cool stuff to watch, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is a high fantasy puppet show on Netflix. I'm really looking forward to watching soon. But in the meantime, back to like real things. Here's a question for you. Why doesn't the Witch King of Angmar, the strongest of the nine raids, know that Frodo Baggins was at his front doorstep in Return of the King when he marches his army out for the Battle of Our Times. He knew where Frodo was earlier he could sense the ring, but he couldn't detect it. He couldn't detect it when it was 200 meters from his front door and he was sit sitting. King of the Nazgul doesn't know that. I that That is a problem I have. That is a problem that I have, and now I expect... Tolkien to respond, or all you Tolkien fans. But anyway, we'll be back next Sunday for more weekly dispatch reports and Brain Body Bobby. Check us out online at www.kernisfit.org or hit us up at hq at kernisfit.org for all questions about the podcast, programming, or opportunities within Kronisfit. Thanks, guys.